train they go along a train line. Can they go along the road? The old self binder go along the corn. This is the curiously specific book club. Aeroplanes go along and off. Ships they go along a sea. And I keep a telling my little old mother she'll have to come along with me. This is the Curiously Specific Book Club. Okay, author's note. At precisely one o'clock on the morning of Saturday the 6th of November 1943, Heinrich Himmler, Reichsführer of the SS and Chief of State Police, received a simple message. The eagle has landed. That's not how he does it though, is it? It's Donald Pleasance in the movie. He'd go, uh, the, eagle has, the, no. the, the eagle has landed. The eagle has landed. The eagle has landed. He's quite precise with his... It meant that a small force of German paratroops were at that moment safely in England and poised to snatch the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill from the Norfolk country house near the sea where he was spending a quiet weekend. This book is an attempt to recreate the events surrounding that astonishing exploit. At least 50% of it is historical fact. yourself Oberst Kurt Steiner commanding the 12th parachute detachment so we are sat here with a view of the sea my colleague Oberstrom Führer writes living room <laughs> and we're about to go out exploring the salt marshes of Norfolk of Norfolk so so Higgins goes to a village Stuckley Constable in Norfolk. He puts yes. himself in the book. It's brilliant. It's really good. And he finds a graveyard, a gravestone underneath another headstone. Another, another gravestone. With a bunch of German names on it. Curious. Curious. Um, and, and specific. It, and asks, and starts asking questions. Yeah. Almost gets to a punch-up in the pub. Yep. But that's okay. He gets he, driven out of town, That's mate. okay, because he can handle himself, he says, which is quite good. <laughs> Seymour stared at him flatly, still hanging on to me. I could have cut him down to size in several different ways but that didn't seem a great deal of point. Big man. He says, so, yeah, he's in, a, he's in a pub, in, and he meets some of the characters who are later going to appear in the story. Right. Who are old, old men by this time. Mm. But, um, yeah, so he, he gets intrigued by uh, the story of the, uh, a chap called Kurt Steiner. Kurt Steiner. Uh, what's his rank? Obersturmgruppenführer Steiner. I don't... I just made that up. He's a colonel, though, isn't he? He's a colonel. What, what did you want to be? Colonel. You wanted to be lieutenant colonel. Lieutenant colonel. Just so I could say lieutenant. Okay. I don't even know what that means. Leutnant. Leutnant. <laughs> Herr Oberst. You can, tell, you can tell we're men of a certain age that we're so excited about yeah, our yeah, World yeah, War II book. Yeah, yeah. We are. And then we can do all that silly German stuff. I mean, if we could, we would do where equals dare, right? But we can't afford the train fare. I went to the launch of Jeff Dyer's latest little tome yeah. um, about where eagles dare. Yeah. He usually writes about sort of Tarkovsky movies and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. it's a little bit of a departure. Yeah. So I went along with my friend Rob. It was Rob's idea. Very good. And he did some readings from the book while playing clips from the film. It was really, really good. But the first chapter of that little book, I recommend it, is basically about why he's about the same age as us, 50s, yeah. late 50s, late, probably late 50s. Yeah. Yes. Um, about why the World War II holds such an enormous hold over our imagination as, as boys of that, of that age and men of that age. And he explains it really well about how... He said, it, he said World War II was his first transmedia experience. 
Okay. Because not only did he have movies like The Great Escape and, yeah. and Dam Busters and all this stuff going at him, but also he had an action man. Uh, and he said he said he got the the winter action man in the ski gear white gear I had that one. once I had that one <laughs> look at your little face oh mate I had that one <laughs> with the white jacket yeah yeah. Oh. yeah 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 which is the wear eagles dare yeah. outfit yeah, yeah. right yeah, yeah. and he said he was always resented his parents for not taking him on a skiing holiday because <laughs> he, he imagined that's what it would be like <laughs> that's very funny yeah. the other thing I would say though about those books and that whole culture is that people didn't really leave the UK at that time. So all the stuff that was being described was over there, right? Yeah. It's over there. And this book is over here. Over right? here, but in a rather strange land as we've now arrived in it. So we're in we're a place as strange as Norfolk. But that, the, po- the whole point of this book is, is that, you know, there are, there's, it's, it's almost um, stereotypical English countryside and mm. it's got German soldiers in it. And that's the thrill, right? It is cool. That is the thrill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so where do we start? Oh, this is squidgy. So we're standing on, we've just walked across Stiff Key Marsh. Where the hell are we? We've just walked across Stiff Key Marsh, Salt Marsh. Boy. Correct? Yeah. And uh, we're standing on the edge of the sands. It's low tide. It's not high tide for another Ah, four hours. ah. It's a lovely autumn day. So it's blue sky, a few clouds. Mm. I can see some people picking something out of the sand. Lugworms. 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 The sea is still about... What do you think? Quarter of a mile away? Half a mile away? I would think so. There's just a big long sewage pipe. We're standing right next to a big long sewage pipe, which is rather impressive. So we think the uh, paratroopers landed around here. Here is the target, approximately eight miles from the dropping zone. The dropping zone is where we are. Yeah. So we're, we're dropping zone for who? Say for the the German paratroopers under Kurt Steiner. That's They're dropped from a plane in the fog at around one o'clock in the morning. We don't actually think that. Jack Higgins walked out this far. I think he probably looked at, watched it, looked, looked at it from the back of the pub and went, oh yeah, that could be out there. Because it's a massive expense of sand. It really is. They walked up through the marsh along the dike road. It was raining quite hard now and the wind carried with it the damp, wet smell of rotting vegetation. Some Brent geese flew in and out of the mist in formation like a bombing squadron going in for the kill. So what's the dike road? Well, would we say, when we're looking back, we're looking we back. came down a track, didn't we? And there's a holiday camp at the end, which is no, not the kind of holiday I would like to have. No. Uh, but what I do know about that is the original huts there are from a, a prisoner of war camp for Italian soldiers. So we walked past that. So the actual original buildings from the prisoner of war camp are yeah. still there. So there's a ridge of trees behind us, pine trees. Pine trees, the pillboxes, the sand-filled tank trap, the warning, beware of mines, so familiar to Devlin from the photographs he had seen. So that could be anywhere along here. He looked out to sea across the creeks and the sandbanks yeah. through the mist towards the point, yeah. which is... Just over that way. Is there. So we're standing we about... We are pretty much at it, aren't we? About a mile from the point, maybe, are we? You can see Blakeney Church... Yes. ...up on the highland. And then the other side you can see the pines of Holcombe Beach. I have to say, the one thing he doesn't do is give you any sense of the scale of it. It is absolutely massive, isn't it? <laughs> well, in terms of parachuting down onto it, you wouldn't feel too bad, would you? You'd feel absolutely... Well, with one proviso. What? Do you want to talk about tides? <laughs> you looked this up, didn't you? Go I on, managed then. to find... Go on, then. So the tide... Te- 
there is a, there's a site where you can get historical tide gauges in the in, for the United Kingdom going back to like 1820. But there's a very, very uh, sketchy coverage during the Second World War, presumably for obvious reasons. Yeah. The only historical tide gauge I could find was for Newlyn in Cornwall for 6th of November 1943, okay. which is obviously a long way from here. But I reckon Newlyn is about an hour ahead. So this is about an hour behind in terms of time. All times. Right. This is your little navigation course coming to bear, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So it was high tide in Newlyn. Yep. At just after midnight on the 6th of November, oh, which meant hello. it was high tide hello. here at You'd about one o'clock in the morning. Which is when they're meant to... Which is when they're supposed out, right? to be landing. <laughs> so, I don't think Jack looked that up. They'll get... Uh, yeah. That's when we're, we're doing more work than they are, aren't they? These lazy writers. Would you like to drag Jack out here and go, we need to talk to you about tides, Jack? But he can look after himself. He's quite handy with his with his fist. He claims. He claims. Fifty percent of it. Well, maybe only one fist. Steiner could feel the wind on his face, smell the salt tang of the sea, and waited for Preston to falter. The Englishman stepped into space without a second's hesitation. It was a good omen. Steiner clipped onto the anchor line and went after him. Bermler, peering out through the open door of the cockpit, tapped Gerricker on the arm. All gone, Peter. I'll go and close the door. All fledglings safe and secure in the nest. <laughs> Very good. So Thank you, Wanderer. Good luck. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. And they're down. And then immediately, cut. Back Devlin, to Berlin. Devlin, Steiner and Joanna Gray stood together at the table examining a large-scale map of the area. Exactly where is Studley Constable? The east coast of England. Uh, the county of Norfolk. Let's have a look at the place. So where are we? We're in... Um, Wiverton. No, we're not, you idiot. We're in Whiton. Whiton. We're in Whiton. I get confused. What? Yeah, well, I know you get confused because you brought us out here. It's your idea that we're here. Well, because of the Stiffkey River. The Stiffkey River, right? Well, I, we, so I, I spent all my research saying it must be the River Glaven that yeah. runs through Studley Constable. Well, you didn't notice there was another river. Well, I'm not from around... Oh, I am yeah, around you and you're not. There. No, I'm not. So no. we, we spot there was a River Stiffkey coming from Stiffkey Marshes. Yes. So we thought we'd check out some of the villages that are along the Stiffkey River. It kind of makes sense because of what you said was that if you go out onto the, onto the point, if you want to go out there, yeah. then a direct line in back inland is down this way. So Studley Constable would be likely to be down here yeah. if we think that, so, that Stiffkey Marsh is the marsh. Yeah. But what we've decided is that we've not found Studley Constable. We've found a lot of villages that are in part like Studley Constable. So what, what we're proposing to do yes. is to have Studley Constable top trumps. <laughs> there, are certain, there are certain aspects of Studley Constable that we are going to score, such as Watermill. Watermill. Situation of Church. Situation of Church. Pub near Church. Pub near Church. Triangular Village Green. Triangular Village Green. Post Office Houses. Post Office. And then Number of Houses, maybe? Bridge. Oh, and Bridge. So there's seven or eight items, and we're, going to see, we're probably going to end up with looking at about seven or eight villages. Maybe also Studley Hall. There has to be a big house, yes, a big Hall. house nearby, doesn't Studley it? Hall. We think Whiten. Sorry, am I in Whiten or Witherton? We're in Whiten. Can we very confused? I'm very confused. We're so standing we, in the graveyard. The church in, is good, isn't it? It's the church, a the very church, flinty old church. The church gets eight out of ten, I would say. Eight out of ten for the church. There's a pub in Whiten. Carpenter's Arms. Yeah, and it's quite near the bridge. The housing's quite good as well. I'm giving the pub five out of ten. Okay. So the general um, topography of the village? 
it's strung out along the road. You were saying, pointed out, there's quite a lot of new build here, really, in or, the or of post-war, anyway. Yeah. So that actually, probably, oh, maybe maybe a seven bridge. The bridge is the bridge in the river is a bit poor. Yeah. And so I'd give the bridge four, four, and, and no, the water mill, no mill. There's a two, there's a, two at best. Yeah, no mill. If, if you had a mill here, it would be really pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we went to Wareham, didn't we? Yeah, which has got a beautiful priory, which you showed me, the remains of a priory. No, you're, that was Binham, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> we do. No, but the point is, we were talking about this in the car, right? The point is, there are a ludicrous number of pretty villages around getting, here. I know, they all, and they all slightly and they accord. All, and they all meld into one kind of archetypal village. Stubby Constable. Stubby Constable. Yeah. Right. yeah. So that's what's happening in your head I now. I think he's driven down from Leeds. Yeah in his Wolsey in 1972 or something. He sees the marshes and he sees the beach and he goes, oh, they landed there and they go up the marsh cottages is probably somewhere over there and he drives around all these villages and he goes, he doesn't pick one village. He goes, well, I'm just going to make up a village that's sort of like all these other villages. Everything about Studley Constable was intriguing. Okay. It was one of those places that seemed to turn up in North Norfolk and nowhere else. Exactly. The kind of village that you find by accident one day... And can never never find find again. So that you begin to question whether it ever existed in the first place. See, I think that's lovely. It's quite artful, isn't it? Right, so that's it. It says, not that there was very much of it. The church, the old presbytery in its walled garden. Oh, presbytery. Mm, There's no presbytery here. Ah, with a tunnel. 15 or 16 cottages of one kind or another scattered along the stream. That's quite good here. The old mill with its massive water wheel. Yeah, no mill here. The village inn on the opposite side of the green. Yeah. The Studley Arms. Okay, well, we need to. That needs to be our top trump card, doesn't there it? There we are. There's no presbytery here. No, there's no presbytery here. Move on, move on. Next. Glanford, we're in, just in case you know. We're not in Binham. Well, Glan- we're not in Whiten. We're not in Wareham. Glanford's an easier one, though, isn't it? Because it's got like a proper name. It's not a ton or a ham. Glandford. Glandford. Well, there's a, there's a, well, we should say we're standing outside a private residence, which we think is the old mill house. There's a big mill pond in Glanford, and we've just stood on the river over the... You like the mill pond, Glaven. Is it the River Glaven? I'm having a struggle Glaven. With, struggle with the name. The River here. Glaven. We tried the River Stifku, we didn't like it. River Glaven's big enough to hold a mill, because there was a mill here. Yes, there's a fish farm there now. There's a fish farm there now. There's a big mill pond. Yep. We can't really see it because it's all private now. Yeah, um, that's Norfolk for you. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, on the top trumps. Top trumps. It gets n- nine out of ten for the uh, mill on the river. Yes, very the church, viable. The church is too small and too on the hill. Yes, and, uh, you, you, found, you found a bit. You found a bit about the church that was uh, significant. That I think it gives us a bit of a clue. I worked my way through methodically, starting at the west end of the churchyard. Yeah. Noticing in my progress the headstones that Vereker had men- mentioned, yeah. they were certainly curious, sculptured and etched with vivid and rather crude ornaments of bones, skulls, winged hourglasses and archangels. Good sound effects for you there. The in- church is speaking to you. Interesting, but entirely the wrong period. Yeah. It took me an hour and 20 minutes to cover the entire area, and at the end of that time, I knew I was beaten. Right. For one thing, unlike most country churchyards these days, this one was kept in very decent order, grass cut, bushes trimmed back, very little that was overgrown or partially hidden from view, or that sort of thing. Right. Okay? So, Glanford, 
Small churchyard, too quite out. well kept. Two out of ten, mate. But but but, but ten minutes to walk around it. I mean, yeah. tiny. No pub, we can see. There's no pub in Glanford. The layout of the village isn't bad. Got a lovely coffee house. Yes, lovely coffee house. I don't mm. think there's a lot of. Can you make Coach Steiner going? What I really need now. Coffee house here, do they? What I really need now is a bird art gallery and some delicious coffee. Schnapps Cafe with Kuchen. <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, we shall take the cafe at dawn. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler? If you think we're on the run. Michael Kane, yes, where are you coming from now? Where come you get here, Michael? He comes uh, from London. Oh, yes. he speaks good Deutsch. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Not so good. So, um, we have come to the Blakeney Hotel because it is where, in the first chapter of the book, Jack Higgins says he's staying. Oh, yeah, he does. So he's talking to uh, Reverend Father Verica in the church. Yes. And he says, I'm, I'm staying at the Blakeney Hotel. And I was talking to one of the barmen there who told me there was a Catholic church here at Studley Constable. It's certainly an out-of-the-way little place. Took me a good hour to find it. An hour? Does that mean it took him a good hour to find Studley Constable? Yeah. Or the church or the grave? Studley Constable? Yeah. It's going to take us two days and we're still not going to find it. <laughs> you could be looking at it for, for years. But it's interesting to me that Higgins picks out the Blakeney Hotel. I mean, we're sitting in the bar here and it's... What can I say about this bar? We're the youngest people in it and it's very overly decorated there are about 17 cushions on every bench and there's sort of faux candles in it's sort of like a country hotel gone mad well it's a country hotel that's been modernized yeah but in the most in the last about 20 years ago yeah by by an italian designer who went crazy in dfs or something right (laughs) yeah they bought quite cheap furniture. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so is this is this Jack, is this Jack Higgins' style? Well, it does have seventies thriller writer in all over it, mate. <laughs> you can imagine Jack Jack and Alistair McLean having a quick whiskey downstairs. Desmond Bagley joining them for dinner. So I think it's true. Having tomato soup to start. And I think it's true. Not even fifty percent true that he has stayed here. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And that, that he centred his research yeah, yeah. as it was. From sitting in the hotel here, looking at maps <laughs> or so, something. So he goes on to say, some things in life are so enormous. So he's found this grave with these German names on it. Some things in life are so enormous in their impact that they are almost impossible to take in. Like a strange voice on the other end of a telephone telling you that someone you greatly loved has just died. Words become meaningless. The mind cuts itself off from reality for a little while. A necessary breathing space until one is ready to cope. Well, I like that. Sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. He's not a bad writer. Which is roughly the state I found myself in after Laker Armsby's astonishing assertion about the German grave. Mm. It wasn't just that it was so incredible. If there's one lesson I've learned in life, it's that if you say a thing is impossible, it will probably happen next week. That is such a 1970s <laughs> British thriller sentence, <laughs> isn't it? If you, you must understand, if there's one thing I've learned in life, if you say something is impossible, it will probably happen next week. The truth is that the implications, if what Armsby had said was true, were so enormous that for the moment my mind was incapable of handling the idea 
It was there, I was aware of its existence, but didn't consciously think about it. I went back to the Blakeney Hotel, packed my bags, paid my bill, and started home. Okay. So there we are. So we're not staying long, are we? <laughs> Although the barman was really nice. And he oh, gave no. us free snacks. Did he tell you about Studley Constable? No. He told, he told me about the, the, the grave in Clyde, though. Did he? Did you ask it? Oh. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm <laughs> That was good. I hate you. I had a gal, we night gal, down in Oxham Way. She wore fully nice to me back in the old school days. She would smile all the while, but Daddy didn't know all. What she uh, used to I say like to me behind the garden so we're standing in uh, Blakeney Harbour in the dark, looking out to a glittering light over there, which you think is the watch house, right? Well, those, the red ones are the wind farm. Okay. I'm saying the one that's there. Oh, that the one. yellow light there. That's yeah, not. Yeah. That's not a boat. So, I, th- oh, why, why this? I think that's the, the watch distance. house, which you said you couldn't walk to from because it's on the other side of the river. With your deep local knowledge, deep local knowledge, with your deep local knowledge, you said you can't walk from there to from Stiffkey Marsh no. to the Watch House from here because you'd have to get across the channel. Yeah, yeah, and you know that you can't do that, don't you? So, and you reckon you can walk across the channel at low tide? <laughs> My friend Charlie, who's lived in Mawson, told me you can walk across there. It's a bit muddy, but you can walk across there. I think he's walked across there several times. Okay, I'm just saying. Okay, well, what does he know? He lives here. <laughs> <laughs> Now we've just. We've I live it. I live in London for Pete's sake. I know everything. Gone. I found a Guardian interview. Okay. Which I'd like to share with you about him. I'm going to turn the light on because we're standing outside. In the we're dark. in the middle of the dark. I'd like to read this to you because it's quite good. For those people out there who've been advising us on how shit our audio is, part of the reason is because we do this thing in the middle of nowhere in the dark. Have people been saying that? I've had a oh, couple of comments. Can, people can be cruel, can't they? They can, can't they? But we're obviously, we're deliberately shambolic. Within the space of a single week in 1975, Harry Patterson's life was transformed. It had started in pretty much the same way as every previous week of the last 15 years. That, that sounds like a line in a thriller novel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he's been writing since 1960, with Patterson supplementing his day job as a college lecturer in Leeds by writing moderately successful thrillers in his spare time. It ended... With the publication of The Eagle Has Landed. Right? Okay. Written under the pseudonym of Jack Hickens. And a phone call from his accountant, right, which is great. Yeah. I love this. He asked me what I wanted to get out of writing, Higgins says. I replied that I wasn't really sure, before adding as a joke, it would be nice to make a million by the time I retired. He then said, well, you're a bloody fool, because you've just earned that much this week. So what are you going to do about it? Whose accountant talks to them like that? A thriller writer's accountant. My accountant has never called me a bloody fool, and yeah. I am a bloody fool. <laughs> I don't, like... Yeah. How right. many times have you had a check for a million pounds in a week? <laughs> so, back in the 1970s, this was a reasonable question. Okay. The, the highest rate of income tax was 83p in the pound, with a further 98p in the pound disappearing on any interest earned. So what is Higgins' reaction to, the, to having a, a, quid, a million, million quid pounds. suddenly? They're going to take it off me. 
<laughs> so Higgins was advised to become a tax exile. Fine, that's fine. Yeah. You would be. I imagine that's true. So start making plans to move, right? Yeah. No, no. But he upsticks almost overnight, <laughs> leaving his <laughs> wife and kids <laughs> in Leeds until he could sort out somewhere to live and move to Jersey. Jersey. He's been there ever since. Oh. Right now. In the book, there's a bit where before the, the, the disgraced German captain, yeah. Steiner, he is sent to the Channel Islands. Alderney. Yeah. Yeah. To sit on a torpedo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> to actually sit on one and aim up. it as a boat. So he's written a book about uh, his hero being in the Channel Islands. Yeah. And then it's immediately successful. And he goes in the, the first channel, week, and, and, goes the channel and almost overnight, he moves to the Channel Islands. This is where we get to the Blakeney High Life. Okay. So he says, yes, it's been good. I've had the chance to do it all. The car, the driver, <laughs> Beverly Hills, MGM, the movies, the Carson Show, Larry King, hanging out with Richard Burton... Being waited on by a dwarf <laughs> in a green jacket in the polo lounge. That is, is that the ambition of every writer? That's you're a novelist. Is that yeah, what you're dreaming yeah, yeah. of? Yeah. But to be waited on by a dwarf in a green jacket in the polo lounge. The Hollywood the, dream. That's the Hollywood dream. And the Hollywood weirdness all happened. And this is the great crowning moment of this yeah. interview. I love it. It says, my son thought it was a load of pretentious rubbish. He was right. But I thought I'd just enjoy it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> My God, you're a German. Poor bloody foreigners. It's pouring with rain outside. It's pouring with rain outside. We're, we're in our little cottage in Salt House on the edge of the world. And we're talking a little bit about dates. Yes. Now, the book, the book has the most explicit beginning to any book I can remember in terms of the actual date. Yeah. It talks about Himmler getting a notification on the 6th of November. 1am on the 6th of November. Uh, 1943. Yeah. The British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, Mm -hmm. was to inspect a station of RAF Bomber Command near the Wash on the morning of Saturday the 6th of November. Later on the same day, he was scheduled to visit a factory near King's Lynn and make a brief speech. Yes. And then he's going off to this house in... He's going to stay with his mate, Sir Henry Henry Willoughby. That Studley Studley Manor. So there's a certain amount of certainty around these movements. Yes. All right. They're based on 50% of the facts. Okay. Now, interestingly, I have managed to find Churchill's wartime engagement diary, which has rather an interesting history. Or was just lying around? Well, no. So they made. <laughs> Where up, did you find it? They made up the diary into cards. There was a card for every month, and it was written up by his private secretaries, mainly a guy called John Colville, who was his main secretary, and he wrote down what Churchill was doing every day. Okay. From about 90... These cards exist. There's 300 or so of these cards, and they've sort of been split up. And most of them were owned by Steve Forbes, right. the guy behind Fortune, yeah, Forbes yeah. magazine. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he, he actually gave them. He bought them. He bought them from lots of different places. I actually found two of them for sale that had been sold. One of those cards, November 1943. Good. Anyway, it ended up at Steve Forbes. Yeah. He then gave them... Yes. to an organisation called the Estelle and Melvin Gelman Library, which has got a special collection dedicated to Winston Churchill. And he gave these 300 engagement cards to them, and they've scanned them all in. So you can read them. They're all on. Do you want to see it? 
Yeah. November 1943. Oh, God. It's all there in handwriting and what everything. You, what do you notice about That's amazing. What do you notice about this? He's not doing anything on the weekend of the it's 6th the and 7th. It's the only blank entry on the whole month is the weekend of the 6th and 7th of November. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, so that's the first thing. That's interesting. Right? So we, we've got the... What was he doing the day before? He was in uh, Harrow, right, not okay. Kingsley. And when, where was he on, Monday, on the Monday after? On the Monday, he was in London. Okay. Now, the other thing that Higgins says is that Churchill was on his way to Tehran for the conference uh, at the same time as being in Norfolk. Yes. So he says, uh, that, that didn't ring true. Yeah. Not, not the case. He no, because Tehran is December, isn't it? I mean, yeah, but look, Why would he spend like a month getting to Tehran? He left for Tehran on the 12th of uh, November, then at sea on the 13th, at sea on the 14th. Right. So it was a week later that he left for Tehran. So where is he this weekend? Where is he, Tim? Can I refer you, though, to the Eastern Daily Press? Gone. 16th of June, 2015 edition. Yeah. My father drove the train Churchill used on visit to Norfolk. Oh. Charlie Stokes from King's Lynn. Yeah. When Charles Stokes opened the EDP on May the 1st and read about Winston Churchill's visit to Weyburn Camp during the war, he turned and looked over to this photograph of his father. Yeah. There he is on his little steam train. Okay. The framed black and white picture is of Tom Stokes, a senior train driver from King's Lynn, Firing up the engine and getting ready for the Prime Minister's tour of the Norfolk coast. So in the book, it absolutely says that he takes a train at Kings Lynn. Yeah. He changes the uh, Melton Constable. It yeah. says, yeah. and then he and then he comes over, and that's when they're going to kidnap him. Yeah. On the back of the picture is a sticky label. Yeah. That reads November 1943. Wow. Thomas Stokes waiting to drive Prime Minister Winston Churchill to Weybourne. Okay. So he was... Well, you think that might be true then? He might have been there this weekend. Well, is there any other time in November that he's in Norfolk? Uh, doesn't seem to be. And yet here is a sticky label on the back of the picture saying Tom Stokes driving him... So Monday, Monday he's meeting the Chief Whip and that's Cabinet, Monday yeah. the 1st. Tuesday the 2nd, I'm trying to read the writing, it's Cabinet... Right. Wednesday the 3rd, Archbishop of York, Mr. McDonald's, dinner with the King and Chief of Staff on the 3rd of... Uh, mm-hmm. It's great, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Thursday the 4th, meeting a Lord, I can't quite read it, and Cabinet at, at 6 o'clock. Friday the 5th, there's a conference and he's meeting Brigadier Hollis in Harrow on the 5th. All right. And the 6th and 7th are empty. On the 8th, he's back in London, 1pm, right. Hyde Park Hotel. And here we are with a picture of a train driver saying that he had him on his train in November. In November. And then he leaves for Portsmouth on the... Gets the 12 o'clock train from Paddington. Is in Plymouth, not Portsmouth. Plymouth. Plymouth via Taunton. Stops in Taunton. 6.15pm, sailed on HMS Renown. Right. So, amazingly... That all, amazingly, that all hangs together. Amazingly, for a book where I'm starting to mistrust quite a lot of what I'm told, um, that sounds quite good, doesn't but it? But he can't have had access to these wartime. How does he know that? These wartime engagement stories were privately held. They weren't pretty good, though, isn't it? So did he find somewhere else that said the chaff? Yeah. Now, look, let me tell you about Wayburn Camp. Just a little bit yeah, of history yeah, yeah. here. During the Second World War, Wayburn Camp was a highly secret site and was an anti-aircraft artillery range. This, along with a complimentary camp at Stiffkey, where we were today, 
represented the main live-firing training ranges for anti-aircraft command for the whole of the Second World War. Wow. So in this, in this scenario, he gets on the train from London on Saturday morning, Yeah. goes to King's Lynn yeah. on a train... Jumps on there. Jumps on that train. Goes to Waverley. He said, Mr. Churchill travelled from London to King's Lynn on the train and transferred um, to the Lynn South Station to make his way towards Sheringham for Holt. Oh, I love it. Charles, who is one of Britain's last surviving Battle of Britain veterans himself, said, during the journey they were stopped at Melton Constable. Love it. Because it was owned by a different line. He told the army officer in charge that they should be driving straight through. He was very clear that they wouldn't be disconnecting the train at all. So I'm thinking Higgins has an unidentified source. It's like he knew this. It's good, isn't it? So he's not such a bullshit, right? It's all hanging together, mate. Ah, it's all hanging together. Ah, there we Thinking this is all rubbish. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler? If you think we're on the... If you look around this village... Uh, you'll see several houses uh, and, and a mill which are, and a pub which have all been built specifically for this picture. And the reason for that is because they're all going to be blown up. Here's something I think that might surprise you. I found in a back issue of the Daily Express, which I read quite regularly... Really? And you keep your back issues? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. It's entitled Hitler's Secret Airstrips That Were Built by Spies in Norfolk. <laughs> so they already had some airstrips for landing. You're joking. Well, it says here, if fields flattened like runways or hanger-shaped barns didn't raise any eyebrows in wartime Norfolk, the chicken huts laid out like swastikas should have given the game away. No. <laughs> what, so you can see them from the air? <laughs> Seriously, have yes, they got evidence it? of this? Is this a... The police in MI5 failed to spot the network of Nazi aerodromes being prepared over to East Anglia ahead of an invasion. Everyone was fooled. The airstrips on 2,000 acres of farmland had been built from 1936 by a nest of enemy spies, Dutch farmers, in inverted commas, secretly working for the Third Reich. A recently unearthed Air Ministry dossier reveals one landing spot made up of two farms near King's Lynn, with, with Sandringham only 60 miles away. Another hidden airdrome was 25 miles away at Guestwick, which is not very far from here. OK. By the time the RAF spotted the bases from the air, Britain was on the brink of invasion. Each airstrip with hangars disguised as Dutch barns covered at least 200 acres, equivalent to 100 football pitches. That's amazing. Every barn had a red roof to help pilots spot where hedges and ditches had been removed to create landing areas. The spies who built nine airfields in Norfolk and one in Woking were recruited in Holland and embedded their families in the fens. They were supposed to be restoring derelict farmland with Dutch drainage expertise. What a great story. Good, eh? That's really good. It's really good, but with the proviso that you found it in the Daily Express. Well, so. whatever. So we're sat between Weybourne and Sheringham, right? Huddled um, together, we'll get the wind, to, wind we're, out of the we're way. Looking, um, we're looking out to sea to the uh, wind farm in the wash. Yeah. Looking down to our left, we can see Weybourne Camp. Which is very, very, very military in that kind of English country. It's way. now the Muckleborough Military Collection. It is next to an adults-only campsite. It's the largest collection of military vehicles next in the UK. Next to an adults-only campsite. <laughs> Why is that interesting you so much? <laughs> carry on camping. How much for a pitch? Panned. So this was the last place he visited, we think, Churchill, yep. before he left for Tehran. 
That's right, on a top secret mission. On a top secret mission? Yeah. Must have been about the D-Day landings, right? And no, nowhere in Churchill's diaries does it mention a bunch of Germans dressed up as Polish commandos. <laughs> So I'm thinking that think bit. I'm thinking his, that bit of the book might not be true. Uh, do you know what's hilarious is that you think he'd put that in his diary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny thing happened on the way to Wedbourne Camp. <laughs> Imagine my surprise! <laughs> Imagine my surprise <laughs> when I when I discovered uh, uh, I discovered a, a platoon of Germans dressed as poles. So he set his book literally between. <laughs> The two biggest anti-aircraft gun emplacements in the country. Yes, <laughs> at a time and when they were when they were training in. for the biggest military invasion in history. Yeah, they're just going to sneak in. <laughs> no one will notice. You can see pillboxes everywhere. We walked past three or four pillboxes well, already. Just, was right right behind us, right? Where, where, where we're sitting. The other thing you may have noticed here, yeah, is the Weyburn windmill. Yes, that's behind us on the top of the hill. But the other thing that's here is a real-life lady spy. There's a lady spy. Yeah, yeah. Now look at this. So we in the book, Joanna Gray. There's a, a spy. there's a there's a lady called Joanna Gray who lives in the village. Whose mother was a Boer. Yeah, and she she's a, a German spy. She died in a British concentration camp in the uh, for, uh, in the Boer War. So she's quite an interesting character, actually. And she's very good at her job of sending radio very, very signals and maps and stuff, right? Yeah. Waven Windmill. During the Second World War, suspicions arose in the village about the couple who lived in the windmill. Right. There were rumours that the residents were spying for the Germans. The man living in the mill was a Mr Dodds, and his wife apparently had a strong foreign accent, which locals described as like German or Austrian. Would that be South African, perhaps? Could be South African. One night, two local policemen were walking down the lane... That's already good, isn't it? From the One night, two local policemen were walking down the lane. <laughs> from the old Coast Guard cottages... OK, we're sitting Which we there. can see. We can see them. On the hill, yeah, us. yeah, right. We're right there. Right there. Towards the mill when they saw a light flashing from the top no, of the mill... No, no. ...out towards sea. Wow. You're getting excited now, aren't you? So that's just there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's a boat coming there's towards us. There's a boat us. coming towards us, towards the windmill. Making the signal. Apparently no action was taken. Why? <laughs> yeah, I know. Oddly, given the wartime conditions. Yeah, but here it, gets, it says here, but seemingly it bothered one of the policemen and he went back a couple of nights later and saw the lights again. Sometime later, Mrs Dodd left her bicycle, Joanna Gray has a bicycle. It's really good. Unattended outside the tennis court. It's really good. The bicycle fell over and a bag fell out of the basket. A local picked the bicycle up and then the bag, he took a look inside and found a radio transmitter. <laughs> oh, come on. A radio transmitter. Come on. <laughs> he told the police and a day or two later the authorities arrived and took the lady and her husband away. I kind of feel that story needs an ending. <laughs> Have you not? What happened to them? <laughs> the Dodds. We need to look that up, mate. The Dodds. What happened to the Dodds? What happened to the Dodds? Happy with that? I'm oh, very happy with that, yeah. I just keep thinking, Jack Higgins had that thing about the 6th and 7th of November, which is like an amazing piece of intelligence. We don't know how he got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything else about this book is just ridiculous. <laughs> Our German uniforms are exposed. There's no worry, a child's life is at stake. You're getting you're, you're getting keener and keener in your accents, I aren't am, you? As the I podcasts am. go on. I think we should start dramatising. A man of many voices. We should do we should start You could turn it into like a, a literary version of the goons. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean no, turn it into turn that? It into, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean literary? Exactly where is Studley Constable? 
Wiverton now. No, Wiverton now. Wiverton now. And uh, uh, cheers, by the way. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Thank God we got to a pub finally. We've been doing all this Trop Trump's rating and not actually rating any of the pubs. What kind of trip is this? <laughs> now, the Wiverton Bell is interesting anyway because it's quite shishi now. But um, it used to be run by a guy called Charles. Yeah. Who was a bit, uh, he was quite a racy character. Uh, in the 70s, he would have been there. He had he was a petrol head and he had a massive uh, something like a Porsche or a Jaguar engine uh, in the fireplace of the pub. In oh the my Bell. god! It was quite a cold pub, <laughs> but it had an engine in the fireplace. When I remember going in there in the eighties as a young man, <laughs> you got my engine. Sorry, and and, uh, and it was one of those pubs that is just one room with a few chairs scattered around. Charles at the bar, like in the book. Yeah, yeah, like in the book, yeah. the Studley Arms. Yeah, so it's quite similar. But other than that, Wiverton's not really—it's not really doing very well on the top trumps, though, is it? Right, come on then, give us your marks. Well, the church church is quite good, but quite the churchyard's very small. The pub's good. Yes, it's in um, the right place, sort of thing. The other thing that Wiverton's good for is he, the, he talks about a triangle, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Cly, Blakeney, and Wiverton. Now the thing about Wiverton Church is you can see. Cly and Blakeney churches. They're all staring at each other. From, from each yeah, churchyard. Yeah. So there is a triangle. So that, that is a 10 out of 10 on the Trump top Trump. So it's a sort of say, do we, so we, do we say Studley Constable is in a sort of Bermuda triangle? <laughs> if I like it. Oh. Between those. Very good. Very good. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. Yeah, but so also, if you, a number of World War II people entered the area and were never seen again. Grieve. G R E V E. Grieve. But we found the other one, right? What was that, Fuller? That was the name on the tomb. So look, we're at Cly now. Yeah. And we found a Fuller. He's just taken that surname from this graveyard, hasn't he? So the Fuller is the name on the slab that he lifts up to yeah. find Steiner's at the other church. Yeah. At Studley Constable Church. And there's a Fuller here. There's a Fuller in here. There's also quite presbytery-esque kind of buildings behind the church. There it is. Do you think there's a tunnel? It's a massive church, though, isn't it? It's a really big church. Yeah. A big graveyard. It would take you an hour and 20 minutes to look at everything in this graveyard. I think he's modelled the graveyard on this graveyard. I think this is the only graveyard he came to. Ah! Is what I think. So I just think he's come here and he's gone. He's looked out over there from up on this hill. Yeah. Because you are looking down the hill towards uh, Witherton. Yes. He's standing here. This is where he was. We, we found it. Well, we haven't found the actual. We haven't. Is this found your the, Studley Constable? No. Well, what? this is my Jack Higgins is here and gone. All right, I need to invent a church. Okay, we can make the presbytery behind the church. church and there's a village and there's a, the pub in the village and all that. I think Three Swallows pub down the road. I think. I think he's. I think he's come here. And the Glaven. I'm, I'm pretty. He probably went to the other villages and then thought, okay, but it's got everything you need here, isn't it? So this is the winner, isn't it? Top trumps. I think this the top trumps. It's pub check. Pub check. Church check, churchyard check. Mill was there. Mill was there. River check. Bridge is there a good bridge? Well, we're back to the old the Wiverton Bridge. The Wiverton Bridge is the classic bridge. Yeah, so maybe it's in nowhere, somewhere between Clay and Wiverton. Who do you think you are kidding, Mister Hitler? 
If you think we're on the run. You've had a bit of a moment there, uh, mate. Uh, uh, so, Tim has got a house in Salt House. If you'd like to come, I can give you the address for the companion. But we've been, set, we've been, we've been spent the weekend, it's been very nice. And we've just walked out onto the marge for the first time out from, out from Salt House. And it's bloody Studley Constable! There's a church! Post office. There's a post office. There's a pub. We've been gallivanting around North Norfolk. And you were living. And in, I was living in Studley Constable all the time in Devlin's house. <laughs> There's even a tank trap outside your house. I'm furious. <laughs> you could have had a long line this morning. <laughs> it's quite. It's quite. It's quite. Have you just been saving this up? This walk. Well, I look round and go. Hang on a minute. I've just said a thought. Do you want to go and see the church? I do not want to see the bloody church. So we didn't have to go anywhere. It's all here. This is the Curiously Specific Book Club.